Thank you to BetterHelp for sponsoring this episode. Recently, I was feeling overwhelmed with all of the responsibilities I was juggling in my work and personal life. I signed up for BetterHelp and scheduled my first online therapy session. To be honest, I was a little nervous about meeting with a therapist online, but I was matched with a great therapist who offered me a fantastic experience. She helped me tremendously in our first session, and I noticed an instant difference in my mental health. BetterHelp is the world's largest therapy service, and it's 100% online. With BetterHelp, you can tap into a network of over 30,000 licensed and experienced therapists who can help you with a wide range of issues. To get started, you just answer a few questions about your needs and preferences in therapy. That way, BetterHelp can match you with the right therapist from their network. Then you can talk to your therapist however you feel comfortable, whether it's via text, chat, phone, or video call. You can also message your therapist at any time and schedule live sessions whenever it's convenient for you. If you're matched with a therapist who isn't the right fit for any reason, you can switch to a new therapist at no additional charge. With BetterHelp, you get the same professionalism and quality you expect from in-office therapy, but with a therapist who is custom-picked for you, you also get more scheduling flexibility and a more affordable price, especially when you get 10% off your first month by signing up at betterhelp.com MFRP. That's betterhelp.com MFRP. Check it out and sign up today. Hello and welcome to the Motivation for Regular People podcast, where you'll find all of the inspiration you need to start, continue, and finish the goals that matter most to you. One of the things that I love most about motivation is that motivation is not something that we have to do alone. One of the best ways to find motivation is to surround ourselves with people who are motivated like we are and who can encourage and challenge us on the way to pursuing our goals. We're going to talk a lot more about that in today's episode. Today, I have Dave Albin on the show. Dave has an incredible story. You'll get to hear him share about his experiences in the podcast episode, but essentially Dave went from a place where he was struggling with drugs and alcohol to the point where he was suicidal and overcoming those addictions. He's now 35 years sober, and he's gone on to do some pretty cool things in terms of empowering others. You're going to hear about Dave's story in the upcoming episode, and I can't wait for you to get to listen in on our conversation and learn from Dave's experience. Before we begin, let me spend just a moment telling you about my Midweek Momentum newsletter. If you're anything like me, you start the new week off with a lot of excitement. You're looking forward to what lies ahead. And then as the week goes on, you start to feel tired. Maybe something comes up on your to-do list that you weren't expecting. And oftentimes it can be challenging to finish the week with the same amount of drive and determination that you had when you started. If this is an experience you can relate to, head to my website at Brady. Ross.com, that's B-R-A-D-Y-R-O-S-S.com, and sign up for my Midweek Momentum newsletter. Each Tuesday, I'll send you a short quote or thought or some other form of inspiration, often based on the podcast episode from the week before. This little bit of encouragement will help you finish the week with the same amount of motivation that you had when you started. 
This newsletter is completely free, and if you don't like the content for whatever reason, you can unsubscribe at any time, but I think you'll find both the message and the timing very helpful. After you sign up, you'll get a free instant download of the introduction and chapter one of my book, Seven Steps to Dominate Your Day and Crush Your Goals. You'll be able to use this information to accomplish more every day by planning in advance what you want to accomplish. Again, you can sign up on my website at bradyross.com, and we'll link that in the show notes notes as well. All right, let's get into my conversation with Dave Albin. Dave, I'm so glad to have you on the podcast today. And I know a little bit about your story, but I'm sure that there are people listening who don't. So I'd love to just hear you reflect on where you've been so far in life and some of the challenges you've faced and how you've overcome those. Well, cool. Uh, well, first of all, thanks, Brady. I appreciate being here. Um, it's always an honor to come on somebody that's trying to make the world a better place and a wonderful thing that you've got going here. Um, well, mine really started at a young age. Um, I was, uh, you know, when I was born, I was born to a single mom and I was born at Queen of Angels Hospital in Hollywood, California. And about two months before I was born, my biological father, <clears throat> who was a pilot in Korea, had hurt himself. And I, I don't know all the details. I just know that they put a plate in his head to save his life. Well, it also took his life because uh, there was a, tremendous amount of pain uh, with that implant. And so two months before I was born, my dad had told my mom several times that he, did, she, he didn't know how much longer he could take this. And so he one day he said, hey, I'm going to the grocery store and they never, never saw or heard from him again. So when I was born, my mother already had two other uh, sons. And so she was working as a server at a famous hotel in Hollywood. And, uh, you know, there's just wasn't enough. Uh, it was there ends meet weren't ends meet. <laughs> there wasn't even any ends meet. Right. So we were living with my grandmother in a one bedroom apartment and, you know, there's three boys and two women. So there's five of us. And so my mom finally committed what I believe to be the greatest act of love. And she put me up for adoption and her sister adopted me. So my aunt and uncle technically, adopted me and, and, you know, my aunt on my mother's side, Pat. So when they adopted me, they took me from Hollywood to, uh, to Long Beach, California. And so my life began and it was wonderful. We went camping. They spent a lot of time with me. They paid attention. They were being, you know, incredibly uh, loving and kind and adoptive parents. So it was really an absolute miracle you know, miraculous miracle that I had landed these two really awesome people as, as parents, right? Well, when I turned 11, um, it took a hard turn. On the first day of summer in 1964, uh, my mom, I'm in the TV room eating probably Campton Crunch or Cheerios or something. And she came and got me and she said, hey, David, come to the kitchen. Your dad and I need to speak with you. And I sat down and my mom put her hand on my hand and with tears in her eyes, she said, David, we need to tell you something. Uh, and that is, we're not your parents. Well, what? What does that mean? How, how can you tell an 11 year old kid you're not your parents when they're your parents? You don't you know what I mean? It's like, uh, that's like saying, you know, uh, whatever. It's like anything you know to be true. It's like, how could that not be true? And so uh, they proceeded to say that they were my aunt and uncle and that my biological mother's name was, you know, was Dean, which was my aunt. And I'm thinking, I don't even like her. <laughs> um, and the reason I didn't like her is because 
she was always touching me and, and not in an inappropriate way. She was just touching me because I was her son. And I didn't know that at the time. She wanted to hold me and hug me and take me places and do things. And so now I understand why, right? I knew, I, I know now why she wanted to touch me and be, be around me. So that was a really interesting time. Well, it, almost simultaneously, like within a couple of days of them telling me this, they both started drinking. They had sworn off alcohol the day they adopted me five, six years earlier. And they started drinking. And Brady, it got ugly real fast. All hell broke loose. These two amazing people turned into like, you know, uh, you know, again, they, they just turned into people they didn't want to be. I'll just leave it at that. And especially my, my you know, my dad, the, my uncle, if you will. Um, and so I'm, I'm like, what's going on? Well, one day they were gone. They went somewhere to the store or something. And back then you could leave your kids alone. <laughs> I'm a baby boomer, right? And so we were fine with it back in those days. You know, if a mother wanted to leave her kids uh, at home, she'd call the, the neighbor across the street who had three kids as well and say, hey, hey, Karen, uh, you know, uh, I'm leaving. And David's at the house. If he needs anything, can he come over? And of course, Karen's like, yeah, of course. Or send him over now, whatever, right? So that's just how neighbors treated each other's kids back in those days. And so when they left that day and left me alone, I went and found their liquor because I saw where they were putting it. You know, I don't, I don't want to say they were hiding it, but it was in a cabinet and I opened up the cabinet and there it was. And I pulled it out and it was a big old half gallon of brandy. And I took a cup. I took a, a coffee cup this size and I filled it about halfway and I, and I downed it at 11 oh years gosh. old. And I was done. Stick a fork in me. I had no chance. None Brady. I'm, I'm done. I, I believe I was an alcoholic right on the spot uh, because I started thinking about it. And, and, you know, when it poured it into my body, it was like rocket fuel. It was just like, I'd never felt, I felt exhilarating. Right. And then, and then I chased it forever. And after, you know, then you start hanging around the wrong people, peer group, things just took a hard turn. My whole life changed. And then I got to, uh, you know, I got kicked out of high school and I had trouble in school the whole time. Uh, and I started hanging around bad people, uh, drug dealers and druggies and pro prostitutes and, and pimps and, uh, gang members. I mean, all of it. Um, and then one day in June 8th, 1988, I woke up that morning and I'd hit threshold. I'm done. I'm out. It's going to stop today. I can't do this. I'm in so much physical and emotional pain that the only option that I think is available is to take my own life. Well, I'm married to a woman at this point with three kids. They're my stepkids. And I love these kids. They were great. And she was a bartender. And quite candidly, that's the reason I married her, because that was the proximity to her. And, um, and so I load my pistol. I stick it in my mouth. I'm ready to pull the trigger. And it dawns on me that these kids could find me in the basement and that's not going to be pretty. So kind of in a moment of compassion, I took the gun out and I'm screaming, yelling, carrying on. Cause again, I, emotionally, physically, and spiritually, I'm in massive pain. So now I'm like, well, go outside and do it. Then you don't have to worry about doing it in the house. And I'm thinking, then I'm going, yeah, but still, they're still going to find out. They're still could see it. It's going to be in the news. All the kids in school are going to know, the community's going to know, neighbors are going to know, <clears throat> and then they're going to have to live with that. And that's not fair. They don't deserve that. Do something else. 
And so all of a sudden this idea popped in my head, we'll call Alcoholics Anonymous. Well, you know what's interesting about that, Brady, is I didn't even know what Alcoholics Anonymous was. Yet there it was. There's a thought in my head. Mm. So I called him. And I got this woman on the phone, and I affectionately refer to her today as Madge. <laughs> because she talked like this. <laughs> you know, she smoked like three packs of Polo non-filters a day, right? So her voice, her voice was so raspy. And man, was she brutal. She was kicking my butt. Because she's answering, you know, intergroup for AA, right? <clears throat> and she's like, you know, are you serious? Do you, If I send somebody to get you, are you going to come to AA? I mean, you know, she was just, bless her heart. Uh, because she literally was one of the people that helped save my life. So she did. She sent a guy to my house. Next thing I know, this guy pulls up, Lauren. I get in the car with him. He takes me to an, uh, an all-men's group, AA group in Fairfax, Virginia. And I went to four meetings that day, 1230, 436, 30, and 830. And, and the men, they, they, took a, they took a book of Alcoholics Anonymous. They signed it. They put their names and their phone numbers in it. Then they gave me what's called a living sober book. And they put their names and numbers in it and signed it and sent me home. But the next morning when I woke up, I wanted to kill somebody. I mean, I'm, I'm Jojen. I want a drink. I want a drug. Cause I'm feel, I feel like, I mean, you know, I'm going into del delirium tremors. And uh, next thing you know, my phone rings and it's one of the guys in AA, John, he's like, Hey, good morning, Dave. How you feeling? I'm like, like, I want to kill something. That's what I'm feeling like. And he goes, um, well, hey, um, <clears throat> I want to come pick you up. I'll take you to a meeting today. Maybe we go to breakfast. All right, John, great. Can't wait to see you, pal. You know, I'm miserable, man. I am just, you know, I'm out of my mind with pain and discomfort. And so he did. He picked me up and he brought me to a meeting. And, you know, when you start to feel the love and the compassion of the members of AA, they knew and they looked you in the eyes. They go, we know how you feel. And we can tell you that you never have to feel this badly again but you're just going to have to do what we do if you want what we have. Mm -hmm. And I was like, okay, that, you know, I'm here, aren't I? <laughs> you know, I was pretty belligerent. Absolutely. And, and I want to pause right here for just sure. a minute um, and we'll yeah. finish your story here in just a bit. But one of the things that we talked about before the episode was the value of the people around you and how yeah. they impact the motivation that you feel and the state of mind that you're in. So I was wondering as you continue with your story, if you could speak a little more to how that group supported you, pushed you forward, helped you out of that pain and that situation that you were in at that time in your life? Yeah. Well, you know, you're learning at that point that peer group is everything. Uh, you hang around a bunch of drug addicts, you're going to get drugged up. You hang around a bunch of guys in AA, you're going to get sober. You know, they used to say, if you don't want a haircut, don't go to a barber shop. So these guys were amazing. They were so, they were just, and they were so happy, joyous, and free, which is something I had never experienced. And I wanted what they have. So I was willing to do what they told me to do. <clears throat> and I did everything. You know, if they told me to, to, to take out the mop and mop the floor of the, of the house, we were, the, the house was on five acres. So I, again, I was doing everything these guys were telling me and asking me to do. And that's where sponsorship comes in, right? Because they tell you, look, go to 90 meetings in 90 days, get a sponsor, read the literature, study the steps, start working the steps. Don't drink one day at a time. I mean, so it was, you know, there was, there was a process, right? There was a pattern that you would start to run and follow. And again, the peer group was everything. I, I'm still friends with, all, you know, all the ones that are alive uh, to this day. Um, and I love them and I respect them and I honor them. And they're some of the greatest relationships I've ever had uh, with other human beings or my friends and family in AA. 
And, and so, you know, after two days of being sober, that turned into a week and then a week turned into a month. <clears throat> and once I got to a month, they gave me a medallion and it said, you know, sobriety one month. Then they give you one at two months, three months, six months, nine months. And then I got, you know, the one year chip. So there I am. I've gone, I hadn't had a drink or a drug in, in over in a year, which is pretty monumental for a guy Amazing. that used every day, yeah. almost since the time he was 11 years old. Right. Um, and wow, my life started to change. Uh, it just started to get better and better. And what got interesting about that is that I had insomnia. So my sleep patterns were all over the place. Well, I was up late one night. And uh, there he is, <laughs> the man himself, right? A young, vibrant, enthusiastic Tony Robbins, uh, Gunthy Ranker, and he's selling his program, Personal Power, 30-day program for total success. I'm sitting there watching it, and I don't even like the guy. He's way too enthusiastic for me to begin with. He seems pretty pompous to me. I mean, you know, I'm miserable and he's excited. So, you know what I mean? <laughs> how, do you, how, how does that meet up? <clears throat> but he said a couple of things that, that really affected me, changed my life, actually. One was, he said, we'll do more to avoid pain than we will to gain pleasure. And I went, whoa, okay, that's profound. Because you know why I drank? One of the things was, is that I drank to avoid pain and gain pleasure. And then at one point it escaped me. It no longer did either, right? And then the other one that got me is he said, you know, why we make decisions and how we do things today is we're motivated one of two ways, inspiration or desperation, right? So that falls in line with, you know, your podcast, right? Motivation for regular people, right? So, and I remember thinking, yeah, well, inspiration, desperation, I'm pretty desperate. So let's buy this program. So it was like 189 bucks, put it on my American Express card and they sent it to me. And it came on little white things called cassette tapes. Right? What are those? Your, yeah, right. Your audience aren't going to know what the heck are, are cassette tapes. Go to the Smithsonian. You'll see what they are. <laughs> and so literally, there are these little white things. You plug them into a device and it, you know, and it, it plays, right? The audio. And uh, I did that. And I, and I did what the man taught me to do, and it worked. And so now the personal development industry and AA are coming together in my life at the same time, which is really magical. Because I'm the 12 steps are showing me how to put my life back together. You know, it's it's telling me that, you know, there's a power greater than me and that I'm powerless over alcohol and that um, I'm going to deal with my shortcomings and my in my character defects. I'm going to make amends to people uh, 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 that I did harm to. And then you go into the maintenance steps, the spiritual connection. And then, you know, the final step is you're really there to help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And then, you know, and then I got Tony Robbins coming in at the same time and other motivational speakers as well. And so change started happening really, really quickly. Well, I had a buddy that was kind of watching me and listening to me. And, and I told him about Tony Robbins. And, and so I ended up loaning him the tape program, the personal power, the 30 day program. And he took it and went through it. And then he read Tony's book as well. Well, seven years later, he calls me on the phone and he's excited like a, a you know, a kid at Christmas. He's like, Dave, oh, my God, did you know that Tony Robbins is coming to town? I'm like, no, I had no idea. He goes, dude, he's coming. We can see him live right here uh, in D.C. And he goes, look, you got me into this. So I want you to go with me. And I went, dude, I'll go with you. What's the dates? Yeah, OK, it all works. Fantastic. He said, I'll call you back. I'll make arrangements. So he calls me back like an hour later. And he goes, done. 
We pick up the tickets at will call. Now they did tell us to do some things. Number one, hydrate, drink a lot of water before the event and at the event. So bring water, bring snacks because you're going to spend a lot of time in the room. <laughs> wow. What an understatement that was. <laughs> um, he said, bring a good attitude. And then he said, and by the way, <clears throat> they said, play full out. And I said, Dan, how much was the ticket? He said, $700. I'm like, okay, well, that's like seven grand now. Right. I go, don't you worry. I'll play full out. And he's getting ready to hang up the phone. He goes, Oh wait, by the way, I forgot to tell you something. We're going to be doing a fire walk. And I remember thinking, what? You're out of your mind. There is no way I'm going to do a fire walk, right? Now, I'm saying this in my head. I'm not saying that to Dan because I don't want him to think that I'm, you know, a coward here. Um, but I'm like, that's a hard no. I'm not doing that. And you know what's interesting, Brady, is I, I was saying no to something. I had no idea what I was saying no to. I just, it was just a hard no for me. Well, uh, we get to the event. I'm not going to do the fire walk. Uh, Tony takes the stage at two o'clock in the afternoon. And the next thing I know, it's after midnight. You've been in, I've been in a room with Tony Robbins for 10 hours with 3,500 people. Oh my gosh. And so it's intense, right? So all of a sudden Tony goes, take your shoes off. <laughs> and I'm like, oh no, <laughs> no, 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 no. You're not going to trick me, pal. I'm not taking my shoes off. Well, I'm sitting there and everybody else is taking their shoes off. And I'm like, oh, man. So if I don't take my shoes off, you know what they're going to be thinking, right? That I'm a coward. So I'm like, well, just take your shoes off. Fake it. They're not going to know, right? So before you go out there, he gets everybody chanting, right? So he's got everybody going, yes, yes. And they're clapping their hands and 3,500 people are yelling yes. And so it starts to get really intense. Well, when he walks you outside into the parking lot where this event firewalk's going to take place, you get out there and there's African drummers, right? So he's like, dun, 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 dun. And you're clapping yes. And I'm like, oh, you've got to be kidding me. This is unbelievable. Well, when you get out there over in the corner, there's this giant fire. It's huge. Uh, it's probably maybe 30 feet wide, could be 60, 70 feet long. And they started the fire early in the day and it's been burning all day and they're adding wood to it and it renders. And now the next thing, you know, at midnight, it's got, a, you've got this giant pile of beautiful coals. Well, the setup is they took wheelbarrows over there and they loaded the wheelbarrows, the steel wheelbarrows with coals. And then they would take a wheelbarrow and they'd, position it in between two lanes of sod, right? Of grass, which is about three feet wide, 18 feet long. And then they just took flathead shovels and they sprinkled the coals on top of that grass. And that's what you walked up. Well, remember, I'm not doing it. So where am I going to go? To the back. <laughs> I'm going to go hide in the back. Nobody's going to know, right? Or at least I, I thought that's what would happen. That was my strategy. Well, it's not a very good strategy. First of all, Tony knows that a, the firewalk experience can be definitely one of the most profound experiences any human can experience. It's been around for hundreds of years, firewalking has. Cultures all over the world have been doing this for a long time. The Fahitians, the people of India, oh my gosh, you ought to see the firewalking uh, that they do. Uh, the Polynesians, the Hawaiians, the Native American Indians, uh, the Indo-Europeans, 
back in the day, the warriors in Europe, before the men went to battle, they would do a firewalk. And if you didn't do a firewalk, they wouldn't let you go to battle, which you would dishonor your family. So Tony knows how powerful it is. So what he does is he trains people to go to the back and find all the cowards, which is where I'm hiding now, right? And apparently he teaches them, look, go make eye contact with these people. And once you make eye contact, don't take your eyes off them. So I'm back there by myself, right? Kind of. And there's other people back there too, I guess, just like me. But this guy comes up and he makes eye contact with me. And now he won't take my eyes off me, right? And again, again, I guess that's Tony trains him. Once you make eye contact, don't take your eyes off him. And he gets about 20 feet from me and he kind of stops and he kind of leans into me and he looks at me like a puzzled look, right? And he goes, are you okay? <laughs> and of course, when we're not okay, what do we say? <laughs> I'm fine. Oh, I'm good here, man. Don't you worry. I got it. Don't, you know, we're good here. And he goes, oh, great. And so he goes for the kill shot, right? He goes, so, hey, are you going to walk tonight? And I'm like, absolutely not. <laughs> and he goes, hey, man. And I said it to him, you know, I, I had some intensity to my voice, right? He knew. And he goes, hey, man, that's cool. He goes, it's okay. We don't want you to do anything you don't want to do. And I went, wow, I like this guy. He's going to get me out of here. But then he asked me a question, changed my life. Ravi, I don't know who this guy is to this day, but he literally, the reason I'm sitting here right now is because of that dude. And he said to me, he said, well, wouldn't you at least like to watch? And I said, I'm thinking, yeah, sure. You know, I'd love to go watch these idiots burn their feet <laughs> off, right? And, and he goes, well, listen, man, you can't see anything from back here, which is true. I'm 100 yards from where those lanes are with the wheelbarrows, right? And there's a whole bunch of them because you've got 3,500 people. And so, you know, there's probably, I don't know, 20 lanes there with wheelbarrows, 10 wheelbarrows. And um, and I'm way 100 yards away. So he goes, well, look, just get in line and eventually you'll get up to where it is, right? <laughs> yeah, he got me. Now, and in his defense, he is telling the truth. He really was telling the truth because I couldn't see. I got 3,500 people in front of me. I'm 100 yards away. I can't see anyone. And so I get in line. And so I'm kind of walking along, walking along, you know, getting closer and closer. And all of a sudden this guy comes up and he whispers in my ear. And he said, he knows when you're ready. When he says, go, you go. And he went, Poo! and he just disappeared into the night. And I'm like, what was that? And so I'm walking along. And next thing I know, Brady, I, I get to a point. I can't see in front of me because, again, too many people. But I can see at an angle. And, and they're doing it. Every race, creed, and color. These people are firewalking. And my brain is, what in the hell is going on? Why are they doing it metaphorically? I mean, you know, I've never seen anything like this, so I've got no references. But my brain is, I'm blown away by what's happening. And I'm right there in it, right? So you can't even imagine the intensity of being right there in the middle of all those people in this firewalk. It is intense. And all of a sudden, I'm staring. And I'm watching these people walk and walk. And I'm moving along, moving along. And boom, next thing I am, I know, guess where I am? I'm at the front of the line. And all of a sudden I look down and that lane has got the coals on it, the grass, and they're bright red. And there's a wheelbarrow there and I can feel the heat coming off. And it's yes, yes. And, dun, 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 dun. and I am freaking out. My heart is ready to jump out of my chest. And as I'm staring into the abyss, there's a trainer standing there. And all of a sudden the trainer goes, eyes up. Right. I was like, oh, oh, that's right. I bring my eyes up. 
Well, I was in the room with Tony for 10 hours. Guess what he teaches you to do? Keep your eyes up. <laughs> Don't stare at what you fear. Look to the celebration end. That's what you want. That's the whole goal. So now my eyes are up, right? And, and, and the trainer goes, squeeze your fist and say yes. And I go, yes. And he goes, stronger. I throw my hands in the air and I go, yes. Well, he could tell I was, wasn't in a peak state. He could tell I was leaving it on the table, right? And so he screams at me, stronger. And so now I throw my hands in the air and I scream, yes. And he goes, go, go, go. I took off. So here's the first thing I learned about firewalking, kind of metaphorically for life too. It's kind of magical, right? Because when you take that first step, oh, you'll take the second, third, fourth, and fifth. You're not going to stop on those coals and stand there, right? So he positions two people at the end and they've got, they lock their arms and they're, and when you get there, they're like, stop, wipe your feet and celebrate. I'm kind of wiping my feet and celebrating. The girl reaches in, grabs me and moves me out of the way because they got somebody walking behind you, right? They don't want to block the lane. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm going, Oh, I did it. I did it. I did it. And all of a sudden I go, Oh my gosh, I've burnt myself really bad. And I look at my foot. I look at my right foot and, I, <clears throat> and it's dirty, but there's no burns. Oh, it's my other foot. Hmm. It's dirty, but there's no burns. I just walked across coals or a thousand degrees and I didn't burn myself. And I can tell you, for me, it was one of the most exhilarating moments of my entire life. So if I can ask a question real sure, quick, of course. what Absolutely. what gets you, and I think I know how you're going to answer this, but I want to hear you reflect on it. What got you from that point where you're at the back of the line saying, absolutely not, I'm not going to do this, to taking that first step and being willing to walk across the coals? Um, well, you know, it was a combination of the three things, right? The guy came and found me, said, yay, if you don't want to walk, you don't have to. But if you want to watch, just get in line. So I did that. <clears throat> so he got me from standing back there, fear, you know, and frozen to moving and getting in the line. Then the guy came up to me and said, hey, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, you go. Boom. Then you get to a point you see other people doing it. So if they're not getting hurt and they're not, I mean, I don't know at that point. I, I've got to say uh, candidly that they're screaming and yelling with enthusiasm because they did something extraordinary. But that's borderline. It sounds like pain. They're screaming. You don't know if that's they're in pain, right? So there's a fine line between exhilaration and pain, right? In terms of screaming. Uh, but you know, when I got up there, Brady, and he said, <clears throat> you know, eyes up. He took control. And, and the guy already said, he knows when you're ready. When he says go, go. And so once he got me into that, you know, that peak state, you know, squeeze your fist and say yes. Yes. Stronger. Yes. Yes. Ah! Well, you know, now you, you know, you're firing off all the chemicals in your body and this fight or flight kind of a thing. And when he says, go, you go, he said, go, I went. And, and it happens that fast. You know, that's why I say four seconds to change your life. Mm -hmm. And I guess part of the reason why I asked that question is I see a parallel with your story in AA to your story of your first firewalk, where a lot of that motivation or that ability for you to move forward and to do something that was hard was the people who you had around you. hundred percent. Cause sometimes, you know, in life, we don't need a little bit of encouragement. That's all we need. We, all we need is someone to go, Hey, I care. I'm here for you. Let's talk. 
How can I help you? Because I believe one of the one of the highest forms of intelligence is being able to ha- ask for help. Because we, you know, we talk that inner talk, right? I don't want to bother them. I'm going to get in their way. They're busy. You know, ah. And you know, and since you brought this up, I think this is a good time for me to share something. And that is the 12 steps help put your life back together. Your character defects, your shortcomings, realizing you're powerless. You come to the realization there's a power greater than you. And then, you know, you make amends, you go back, you say you're sorry. So you start the, you know, the maintenance side of things. And then, you know, you maintain your spiritual growth. And then you realize that helping others is a key role here. So the 12 traditions of AA help incorporate, you know, your life and into the group, how the group works, how it moves, right? But in the middle, there's called a thing called the preamble. And the preamble says, when anyone anywhere reaches out, I want the hand of AA to be there. And for that, I'm responsible. Well, I took that to heart. These guys saved my life. These are amazing men and women uh, that have one common goal, and that's to stay sober and help other alcoholics achieve sobriety. And so that was kind of going on over here. Tony knows that that firewalk is going to be one of the most unbelievable most powerful paradigm shifting experiences of your life. And he does it on day one because he still got you for four days. So he wants to create that shift because we tell ourselves what we can and can't do. You know what I mean? We create a story about our life, everything that happens. I don't care good or bad. We create a story about it. So I say all the time, if you don't have what you have in your life, chances are you're telling yourself the wrong story. You want to change your life, change your story. Mm. And so that's what happens. So good. Right? That firewalk's going to change your perspective on life because you're going to ask yourself, so if I can walk on coals at 1,000 degrees and not burn myself, what else can I do? Because remember, I said at the beginning, I ain't doing it. When Dan called me and said, hey, we're going to do a firewalk, I was like, nope, no, we're not. I'm not. And I'm making a decision about something I don't even know anything about. Mm-hmm. How often do we do that? And so that's we got to be really careful what we tell ourselves, right? And so, th- and so that's what happened. Well, here's where it gets even much more interesting, though, was the next day, Brady. I come in on day two, and I'm in the foyer. We're getting ready to go into the venue, and we're all standing out there. You know, we're in queue waiting, and I've never seen a witness to anything like this in my life. People were laughing and crying and hugging and talking and connecting and talking about the firewalk and how they feel. It was exhilarating. That night before, they were here vibrationally with their self-worth. The next day, they were here. They had been elevated. And I was standing in the middle of a group of people, 3,500 people, and I'd never seen or witnessed anything like it. And I fell in love right there. I knew something magical happened the night before, unlike anything I'd ever seen or experienced. Yeah, I'd play sports and there's camaraderie, but not like this. Not even close to this. And so... Um, that's what did it. And so after, after the event, one of the trainers, I was talking to him and he, and I'm talking about all the volunteers because Tony uses about 300 for every event. And, and Ted Macy, one of the trainers said, well, Dave, you know, if you want to consider this working with us here, when you get home, call Robin's research, they'll send you an application. You fill it out, send it in. And if they like what they see and read, they'll, they'll invite you to be a volunteer. And I remember thinking, oh, that would be awesome, right? That, how cool would that be to be a- actually at an event helping do this? Because to me, that was very attractive. I'm helping people in AA. Now I'm helping them in the personal development. So it was a magical 
relationship as far as I was concerned. Now you have to pay your own way, right? You don't, you're not getting paid, you're a volunteer. And so I filled out the application and because I had a military background and a security background and I lived on a farm and I had experience with tools and, you know, splitting wood and stuff like that, they, they brought me right in and they put me on the security detail. So I got immediately thrown into helping Tony with a lot of his celebrities and I got put on the fire building team. This was in 95, 96 and I fell in love with it. And, and then, and, and I became a subcontractor. They, they literally said, hey, we want to bring you in, right? We want to hire you and use you, if you will. And so I was a subcontractor. So I, I became the assistant captain on the fire team. And then in 2003, Tony offered me the fire captain position to take over all of his firewalks globally. And if, when I first looked at it, I was like, well, I can't. And they're like, well, why? I said, because I homeschool my kids. They're like, oh, okay, we kind of missed that. Well, what if we pay to have your kids travel with us? Will that make a difference? <laughs> wow. Yeah, that would make a difference. And so now I'm on the road with my kids. In fact, our first event was in Sydney, Australia. So I've got my six-year-old daughter and my nine-year-old son on the road. And, you know, we, we, had, we were homeschooling them on our farm. I had converted one of our uh, buildings into a school, into an office. And so, you know, we were with them every day with that. So now they're on the road with dad and Tony Robbins, which you can't even imagine what that was like. <laughs> my kids actually firewalked the first time. My daughter was six. My son was nine. You know, some people go, that's child abuse. <laughs> well, yeah, you got to see him today. Uh, they're kicking it. Um, and so uh, in 2005, right, this that I became captain in 03, 05. Tony and I and the rest of the team set a world record in London. We uh, firewalked 12,300 people. Now, I say world record. I want to clarify something. Full disclosure, Guinness was not there. It wasn't recorded by them. But I'm 99.999% sure no firewalks ever been anywhere close to that size. Yeah, we'll call it the unofficial um, world record. We'll call it the unofficial world record. Absolutely. Like I'm going to start saying that. Thank you for that distinction. That's so good. Hey, for the sake of time, I'm going to skip us forward a little bit. Um, and I hate sure. that we didn't even get to get into you know 2012 when you left Tony Robbins and started doing this on your own and all the people that you firewalked yeah. since then. But I guess sure. just to draw us to a close here, and I don't know, maybe we'll need to do a part two one day so that we can get into even more of your story. But as you look back on all of your experiences from AA to your first firewalk to all of the firewalks that you've done since then, what have you learned about how motivation works in people and maybe even specifically how doing something challenging like a firewalk can forever impact the motivation that someone feels? Sure. Great question. Awesome. Um, people have to master patterns. Everything's a pattern. Everything we do is a pattern. Everything we do and say about ourselves is a story. We create that story. We've got our finger on the on and off button and the, on the volume control. So patterns are, are critical. Not only our own patterns, but patterns of other people. Um, and then I think probably the number one thing for me is state management. Life is 10% what happens to you, 90% how you react to it. It's true. Henry Ford said it. If you think you can or you think you can't, you're right. So that is such a driving force. And I say on my website, stop looking for heroes and be one. Get clear about what you want. That goes back to your, your podcast of the whole motivational side. Create a why so powerful, so scary, it keeps you up at night. It brings tears to your eyes. 
that that will drive you. It will get you up out of bed. And again, if you help enough people get what they want in life, you'll always get what you want. It's a mm. universal code. It's how it works. I love that. Uh, and I think and, it's so. In- yeah. I was going to say, I think it- I'll, I'll close it with peer group. Who you are, you become who you spend time with. That's a fact. You take the five closest people in your life, average out how much they make per year, and you're within 10% of that. I challenge you to do that because that's really true. So, you know, again, uh, hang around with good, smart people who are very successful. And guess what? That's going to rub off. Hang around with drug dealers. I mean, you know what I mean? It's pretty obvious. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, peer groups are really important. And I love that first piece that you shared because it reminds me of how much control we all have over not everything. You can't affect everything in your circle of influence, but there is a lot that we can control. And when we spend more time focusing on what we can control and not what is outside of our control, we're able to set ourselves on that path forward towards our goals. So Dave, thanks so much for coming on the show and for everything that you had to share with us today. Again, I hate that we didn't have time to get into everything, but you've had a lot of cool life experiences. And so I'm sure that there are people out there who are left wanting to know more about your story and about what you're doing now. Where can those people find you and learn more about you? Oh, wow. Uh, Cool. Thank you. I appreciate that. Well, uh, real simple. Uh, Just go to www.firewalkadventures.com. It's all there. So if you're a company or a CEO or an entrepreneur, um, and you want to, uh, you know, have us put on a firewalk, it's all there because we're going to custom the firewalk around your business. If you're launching a product or you've got dissension going on and there's breakdown, right? Cause right now there's a lot of dissension going on. You know, I love Donald Trump. I hate Donald Trump. You know, uh, I wear a mask. I don't wear a mask. I got a vaccine. I didn't get a vaccine. So this has ripped people and companies apart, which the bottom line is that's going to cost you money because if your people aren't getting along and they're not working together harmonistically, what's going to happen? They're going to lose money. So, you know, what's great. The fire doesn't care about that. <laughs> you bring them, you bring them to us. You let me have them for three hours and I'll bring those people together. Just like <laughs> I did on day two, when I was standing in that foyer with all those other people and that magic took over. Right. The other thing, if, if I may, if it's okay with you, I'll mention, um, uh, I, I run an Academy. The Dave Alvin firewalk Academy is going to be in October, 2023. So if you want to send somebody that, that in your company to us, I'll teach them all this stuff and they could go back into that company and facilitate what people hire me to do. So if you're a trainer, maybe a coach, a CEO, I mean, a business owner, entrepreneur, whatever it is, you can come to our academy and I'm you're going to be with me for a week. It's going to be super, super intense. And I'm going to teach you how to become uh, the team building, team bonding, firewalk extraordinaire. And if you go, don't go to the back of the line because Dave will find you <laughs> right. and he will get don't you go up to the, to the front. We teach you, don't go to the back of the line <laughs> or I'll come find you. <laughs> Absolutely. I love yeah. that. Dave, this was such a treat. I loved hearing your story and getting to Thanks, learn more Brady. about what you're doing. Thanks for your time. Thanks, Brady. I really appreciate you being here. Look forward to t- chatting again sometime. Well, as you can see, Dave has a fantastic story of overcoming, of beating addiction, and of encouraging and empowering others through the work that he does. And before we wrap up, I want to reinforce this idea one more time of surrounding yourself with the right people. It's incredible how much our close friendships and relationships impact the person who we become, whether we like it or not. And so I encourage you to 
think carefully about those people who you spend the majority of your time with and who you allow to influence you because chances are high, whether you realize it's happening or not, that you're going to end up a lot like these people who you have in close proximity. Thanks again for listening to the show today. Remember to subscribe to the podcast so you'll get a new episode in your feed every Thursday morning. We would also love it if you would rate and review the show. It's going to help us grow our audience and take this message that we think is so important to a larger number of people. I'll see you next Thursday. Remember, you already have all of the motivation that you need, and it's up to you to decide what you'll do with it. Thank you.